Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today's podcast features a sensitive subject. It's sensitive because it's an issue that's been around for years and years, yet it rarely appears to change much. The issue is the labour shortage in regional and rural Australia and what successive governments are or are not doing about it. First up, the big picture and the founder and the executive director of People In Limited, Tom Reardon. Tom, welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Tom, you specialise in servicing employers across regional and rural Australia. Across the board, just approximately, how many vacancies have you on your books at present? Oh, we'd be close to 5,000-plus vacancies across across the sector at the moment. 5,000? Is it extraordinary high or just normal? No, this is this is uh, record highs and, and uh, you know, with unemployment sitting where it is, it's uh, putting further strains on the on the regional areas, that's for sure. 5,000 vacancies, that's, that's amazing. Now, what sort of workers are um, we mostly short of? I mean, is it tradesmen or sparkies, plumbers, et cetera, chippies? Who's needed most? It's sort of across the board at the moment. I mean, the, it's all levels, um, but I mean, it's, it's shortages, but it's also the retention issues. So if you're looking at retaining staff for a long period, you take the example, you know, a feedlot, a farm or, or an abattoir in those regional areas, and the turnover at that executive level is around 5%. Your supervisor level is probably you know, 10 to 15%. And that, that lower level, skill level, you're looking at 50 to 100% turnover a year. So it's leaving a huge, huge skill gap uh, for for that retaining that lower skill, yeah, you know, we're we're the largest provider of those specific workers in Australia, yeah, you know, which is a three to four year visa, which was a great yeah. great scheme. Yeah. I want to talk about the Palm scheme in a moment, but uh, I was about to mention nurses, but we might leave that for a special moment because I get the feeling they deserve special focus. The tradies, where are they most needed? Uh, any particular state or territory or region? No, it's across it's across the board, really. I mean, the Queensland, New South Wales is, is very short. Um, you've also got uh, WA very short because you've got the obviously the, the pressures from the mining sector coming into some of those rural and regional areas. Now, of course, we all know the mines would want tradesmen, but if you think about it, every town of any size needs a sparky. They probably need a motor mechanic, a plumber, an auto electrician. Towns, as well as the mines, are short as well as the miners. Yeah, definitely. You, you know, you're looking at people that are working in the local towns that can go across the road and go across the road and make $150,000 driving a truck for um Goodness. for half the half the year. So it's um it's a real strain on those 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 small communities. What about an electrician, say, which is always popular and needed? An electrician at a mining site, say, in Western Australia. Give me a ballpark figure on an average. Uh, Electric, electrician tradesman salary for a salary for a sparky in the mines. Yeah, they're making around seventy five to ninety five dollars an hour, um, and you multiply <laughs> that by 12, 12 hours a day, um, seven in, days a week. It's a I'm pretty in, big number. I'm in the wrong business. I'm for too old to try. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> so that's extraordinary. So how do shire councils and and small businesses cope against that level for a tradie? Well, I think it's just attract, attracting the lifestyle. I suppose. Um, yeah. I mean, the minds are the minds are trying to change the, and have more of those lifestyle rosters to, to keep keep the people. But um, 
yeah, I think it's more family friendly, obviously, yes. and, and uh, that's the only way that uh, they can compete. Unfortunately, I mean, is there a quick fix for this tradie problem? Could or should governments be offering some form of visa schemes for overseas tradies to work in Australia for one, two, or three years? Is that possible? Yeah, I think so, and I think we just need to have a need to have a look at the qualification because um, Australia is very very stringent on recognising uh, other qualifications, which you, which we can probably touch on when we discuss nursing yes. uh, if we go down that route. But um, I think it's a similar thing for the trades um, and then obviously opportunities to extend visas. Um, you know, recently they, because of their agreement with the UK, the backpacker law, they, they recently, you know, null and voided that three months that backpackers had to do from the UK and rural and regional areas to extend their visa, which seems a bit, um, you know, a lot of those communities are, with their seasonal worker really reliant on those backpackers doing their three months to get their extension of visa, but the, the government's um, recently abandoned that. I remember being in the UK when Britain was still in um, the EU and the tradies were mostly from Poland. <laughs> I mean, could we, I mean, why don't we have people uh, coming from those countries who are obviously qualified? Why don't we get them here? I think it's 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 a recognition of their trades, and then it's also on top of that the speed to be able to get them into country, and then additionally the cost, the government, yeah. the government and legal cost to you know um, get a four eight two into the country is costing you anywhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars now. So Jeez. there needs to be some kind of subsidising that to make it worthwhile for people. Yeah, well, nurses. Uh Nurses, Tom, I'm a big fan of nurses. I have three sisters who were and are nurses. But here we have a shortage situation exacerbated by a government decision, which was almost certainly a right decision, uh, and to tell aged care uh, providers they must have a registered nurse on premises 24-7. Tom, this has created all sorts of problems. Why aren't we harvesting qualified nurses from overseas? Yeah, I think that the... That ruling being put in place, you immediately had an eight to eight and a half thousand nurse shortfall day one. Eight um, and a half thousand because of that decision. Yeah. Jesus, they and, must, but they must have known and, that. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd imagine so. But and, and then they've increased their rates by fifteen percent. But all you're doing there is robbing Peter to pay Paul, unfortunately, because you're going to get nurses moving across into the aged care uh, potentially, but also. You've got acute care that's getting around the same money that only has to look after six to eight nurses, and then you've got you know, aged care looking after sixty people. So it's yeah. it's, uh, it's a bit of a strain across the board there. And the only major issue I see there to address that is is the APRA testing. So you know, currently UK, Ireland, Canada, New Zealand all qualify to Australian standard, but experience is not acknowledged. So for example, you could have a, a qualified nurse working in Ireland for five years, but if she, she or he got their qualification somewhere else, we don't acknowledge it yet. Ireland, UK, Canada, they, they, they will accept, accept people with arms open, um, yet we don't, we don't actually acknowledge it, even though they've done five years in those countries that we, we have at protesting acknowledgement. So it's so a real, we, we, really, real issue there. Yeah, we treat them as a first-year nursing sister or something like that, do we? Yeah, we, we, we treat them as if yeah. they, um, they've, they've got their, they haven't had any experience whatsoever. I've heard, apart of, from their own I've heard of senior nurses being offered substantial bonuses to go bush and serve 12 months or more. Is, it, is this commonplace? There is a lot of people offering bonuses at the moment um, to, to try and um, ensure that they don't you know, breach the regulations. But you know, how sustainable that is, is is another thing, I suppose. Yeah. Let's have a quick look at the processing industry where 
a good experience bonus probably worth their weight in Waggy's stake at the moment. This uh, sector is <laughs> struggles to fill their shifts. What's what's happening at present? I know I know that a lot of people are taking the situation into their own hands and trying to solve it, but what's the picture at the moment? It's a struggle everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, it's a struggle everywhere. I mean, um, uh, we've got we've got thousands of Pacific workers that are working in abattoirs yeah. across the board. Yeah. Um, the beauty there is the three or four UVs, and we we put yeah. them straight on traineeships to get them up to that skill level. But it's the attraction also of the younger generation to want to work in rural areas and, you know, that generation Z, you know, the late 90s through to early 2010, like they're 20% of the population now. I think they're, I think they're by 2025, they'll be 27% of the workforce. You know, 40% of them on, on, on recent surveys, 40% of them want to be praised three times a week versus our generation where you've got a pat on the back at the Christmas party <laughs> at the drinks each year. And then, uh, and then, so true, and then, so uh, and then, and then I think additional to that, they're, you know, they're, they're averaging spending six hours plus a day on the phone. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, people need to be marketing to that generation, and, and but it is, a, it is a hard battle for the, for some of the work because they've got so many options these days. Yeah, some processes are fed up with the situation waiting for a government or of any colour to do something. They're taking the struggle uh, on themselves and providing accommodation for their workers. Uh, I know it's working for people like Terry Nolan and JBS, they're all doing that. Uh, is that becoming more commonplace, Tom, people for providing accommodation? I want to talk to you, as I mentioned, about your rental scheme, which is most amazing. Yeah, there is purely on the fact of the, the, the shortages. So if they don't lock down housing, you know, the shortages and the cost um, can, you know, Go through the roof. So we, you know, we we rent, you know, close to fifteen hundred houses across Australia and in rural and regional areas, and we we fit them out with, you know, furniture and, and we supply our Pacific workers with with transportation as well. Um, there's there's a capping there's a capping by the government of what, you know, we can only on charge what we get paid um, for that accommodation, but it's also capped. So we need to we have to bear the costs in some of those communities where. Yeah, there is no accommodation, so you are paying a premium for that yeah. accommodation. So it's uh, logistically, it's uh, it's uh, it's it can be a nightmare, but it's um, the only way you can manage it, unfortunately. Um, and the and the government aren't freeing up a great deal of land to continue to grow that. No, you're 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 responsible for fifteen hundred rented houses each week. Yeah, correct. That's extraordinary. Do you, do you, do you find the accommodation offer? Is the right incentive to get people to go and work in the regions? I think tax incentives would be would be a, a smart move. I think the accommodation is, is just something that we do because we know that it'll retain staff, and that retention, as I spoke about earlier, you know that fifty to one hundred percent turnover just is not sustainable for yeah. businesses, um, especially when you you know you're talking about skilling someone up to be a a, a, a knife hand or. It, um, you just don't want to be losing those skills. So yeah. if you can retain that skills for four years, it's it's making that production a lot better. Let's uh, touch briefly on farm hands. I, I guess it's very hard, I suspect, for a property owner to take a completely raw novice from the streets of suburbia and put them to work on a farm or a property. Uh, where does this raw kid get enough knowledge or experience which would encourage a farmer or grazier to take a chance with a young lad or young lady? Yeah, I mean, TAFE, TAFE are offering rural, you know, where's their rural centre of operations. Where's that TAFE? Which TAFE, Tom, and which state? 
Uh, that's through, that's through Queensland tape. Oh, okay. um, so you know, it's horticulture, livestock management, rural ops, and land management. It, it, it's less than six months, so it's 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 a pretty it's a bit of a whirlwind um, for someone. But I think also it's, it's making sure that that yeah yeah I think it's I think it's great. But I think also you you've still got to attract those city students to choose that course yeah. um, over other opportunities, which makes makes it um, which I believe is is going to be. Sort of our hardest issue. I mean, you look at you look at the statistics on, you know, we, we monitor that, you know, that seek data on, on numbers of roles advertised for you know, farm hands and and um, farm workers and and the like. And out of a hundred roles advertised, there's 25 applicants, so 25 percent hit rate at the moment just from applicants, let alone if any of them have any kind of skill. And then you look at you know that supervisory or or more higher up, um, yeah. you know, farm or worker, and you're getting around a fifty percent. So there's a shortfall of, you know, in all farm areas, anywhere between seventy five percent and twenty five percent shortfall on on roles that people are wanting yeah, to so fill. That TAFE course you mentioned, do they teach fundamentals like driving a tractor or doing some fencing or welding or anything like that, or is it all less basic than that? Oh, it's less basic than that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the you know the younger generation that have been out and you know they might have families on farms. So, for example, I, all my family is a Gundawindi, Cunnamulla area, and we spend every every school holiday out there yeah. doing work. So you've you've got that you know you've got that uh, touch point back to the country um, where I'm unsure how you attract attract people that don't have that touch point more. Currently, without without some kind of incentives, could we have a sort of palm scheme operate across the board for for tradies and nurses? You think that would work? Not specifically for the islands, but for for Europe, say, or even Asia. Yes, definitely. I think I think there's I think there's a huge opportunity for for um, the Asian market um, into Australia. Um, I think you know the palm scheme at some stage will cap out. And some of those areas, there's five percent of their population is in Australia now. The skill base um, is different. You know, we've we've brought welders in from from Fiji um, that do have the skill base because of their shipping industry. But uh, there's a huge opp- opportunity with the um, the population base through India and Asia to to um, run a similar scheme for the for the higher skill level. I believe. Look, from my observation, I think this is not a uniquely Australian problem. There seems to be a problem in all the sophisticated economies about attracting people to the rural workforce and to to trades. Yeah, I think I think it's across the board. I think you're hundred percent correct there. Doesn't mean um, doesn't mean there's we're, not all, any, we're all battling we're all battling for them. Yeah, there's not, doesn't mean there's not an answer there somewhere that we should be looking at though. And the, the question of taxation breaks has been discussed more and more as I'd talk to people about their issues in regional and rural Australia and one of the subjects that comes up constantly, tax breaks. Yeah, I think I think tax breaks and housing allowances, you know, accreditations, being able to, you know, accredit yeah. people from further further countries. Um, I think that's sort of three things is that international sourcing is going to be a, a continued solution for us because we're, we're such an attractive country to come through, to from a pay rate exactly. perspective. Exactly. Um, it's just making sure we making sure that we've got sustainable housing to actually be able to support it. Tom, as well. you spend some time in Canberra lobbying about this. What's the reaction from various sides of politics? Are they doing anything or is it continued to be chat, chat, chat and very little actual action? 
Oh, I think I think. Look, the Palm scheme has been a very successful scheme. It's migrating across at the moment to, into a different department, which will um, which will hope uh, assist it. But um, time will tell on that front. But um, so that's that's a great scheme, and 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 I'm not sure what during COVID. I'm not sure what some of these rural areas would have done without it. To be honest with you. I think there, there needs to be more work done um, from that accreditation, you know, the APA into nursing and, and other skilled trades. So there's there's plenty of work to be done yet to have a solution there. I suppose it's just making sure that we're in front of mind all the time so that we can get a solution at least moving. I don't understand why this problem goes on and on and on. It hardly seems to improve, but uh, good luck, Tom. Now, incidentally, I've got this magic wand and I've just conjured up a hundred nurses, fully qualified, and a hundred sparkies. How long before they're employed? Next week. <laughs> Tom Reardon, Executive Director of People In. Thanks for your time on the Grill for Beef Central. No, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Time for a break. We're talking about the problems of employment in regional and rural Australia. Back after this message from our sponsors. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinocard. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. Welcome back. On the Grill is checking on the shortage of workers across regional and rural Australia. Is the picture the same or at least similar for the movers and shakers of the world, the senior executives, the managers of agribusiness? To discuss, I'm joined by Dr Ray Johnson from a company called Agricultural Appointments, which is one of the, if not the leading agribusiness executive search and consulting company in Australia. Ray, on behalf of Beef Central, thanks for being on the Grill. Thanks, Kerry. Pleased to be here. Ray, I've just spoken with a leading recruiter for regional and rural Australia, what might be called the, the tradie end of the jobs game. His current experience is shortages everywhere in just about every job. What's it like looking for people at the top end of the employer, employer game? Well, I mean, I think it is a little bit easier, put it that way, um, but not much easier. Uh, certainly, you know, when you go down to the farm labour uh, area or um, the tradie type, uh, diesel mechanics, um, you've got real problems. There are just no candidates at all for those. And the ones that you do find will not relocate. You know, they're, they're, there are just massive problems at that end of the market. As you move through the, you know, the more sales orientated marketing customer service roles, they become easier to fill. And, of course, at the real senior end when you're working with CEO uh, appointments, as we do quite often, 
it is always difficult at that end of the market, but there are usually a significant number of candidates at least. What's Before we talk about jobs in particular, what's the, what's the state of play out there, Ray, as you see it? Coming off good seasons, but a possible El Nino ahead. Is, is the mood still pretty positive? Well, the mood, I think, has softened. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we've seen sort of, you know, from post-COVID 2020, we've seen a huge demand in people trying to find candidates. Um, so clients were moving very rapidly to try to secure candidates. We use the Seek Job Index as a barometer, and uh, that had been running at around about five and a half times what it was pre-COVID. So in other words, there's five and a half times more job ads being placed than pre-COVID. That's and that is that is a massive increase. Now, that's not to say the rest of the Australian market in all the other types of jobs also had the same <laughs> increase, but it was symptomatic of a huge demand coming off COVID. So where's the demand now for executives, uh, Ray? Is it uh, for farm? In, is it in farming or grazing? And what's the common skill sets you see for both of those areas? Look, I mean, farming and grazing... Any time you start talking about farm management roles, they are very difficult. The length of time to appoint farm manager type roles is significant. It's not, there are just no candidates in that, that end of the market at all. So I think the demand for those, those roles remains very strong. The supply of candidates remains very short. Now that doesn't matter if you're in, you know, livestock, uh, grazing, cropping or horticulture. There there is a there is still a massive demand for farm managers, operations managers in in those roles and a severe shortage of uh, of candidates. So what are you doing now? Are you actually headhunting? Oh we we're headhunting all the time. I mean the the value of advertising online job boards has diminished. You know, it's probably twenty five percent of what it used to be. So you get word so, you get word of mouth or hear about someone who's performing well and you might think of tapping him on the shoulder, him or her on the shoulder. Well, there's a lot of tapping on the shoulder goings, but you know, I mean the the big thing with us is our networks in the industry and that, that comes from being a specialised agricultural agribusiness recruiting company and we've got people you know working for us as recruiting consultants that themselves are out of the ag industry always we don't appoint recruiters so to speak we appoint people out of the ag industries and they always come with a, a certain network and they foster that as recruiters and that gives them a really deep knowledge of all the different market segments in so, the in the agriculture space. So what's crucial, Ray, is it practical background, shit on the boots, academic record or employment record? What do you look for most? It's all of that, but really, and look, I mean, a lot of clients uh, do want to tick all the boxes still, and they, they really haven't grasped the concept that it's just not possible to tick all the boxes anymore. You really have to look at the skill set and the cultural fit to the organisation. And if you look at, you know, historically good versus poor appointments in the agriculture industry, you'll see that the good cultural fit, uh, the skill set 
uh, and the demonstrated performance prior to that role are key in determining whether that person is going to be good. Ray, the, is there an increased female avail- availability out of some of these good academic courses now? I see some evidence of this, but perhaps not the number that it should be. Is that a fair comment? Well, it's certainly not the number that it should be, and it's something that I've talked about um, quite often. We, for example, went back to across all our roles uh, over the last five years, and we looked at the gender gender mix. So across all our roles over the last five years, hundreds of roles, we found that only 30% of them were female. Now, you might immediately say, well, there's, a, there's some sort of prejudice against appointing females. It's exactly the opposite to that. There's actually a propensity to want to appoint females to many, many of these roles. You just can't find them. And the candidate base, in other words, those that apply, the, the ratio is the same. So we're, it's, there's, no, there's no bias against appointing female candidates. And it is an issue because out, out of universities now and out of all, all ag courses now and veterinary science, uh, the ratio is skewing to higher than 50% female. So, you know, we already talk about a shortage of agricultural graduates across Australia and there is a there is a real shortage of agricultural graduates. Make no bones about that. But a big segment of them, that is the female segment, don't make it into the to the uh, agricultural workforce. Now, that's not to say that they're not picking up jobs. They're just not picking them up in the in the agricultural uh, sector. So, what would your recommendations be as a major recruiter at the top end? What would your recommendations be for would-be youngsters looking at a future management career in agribusiness? Would you look at business degrees or marketing degrees? Where would you send a young person these days? I'll go back a step from that, Kerry. Let's look at the number of students in New South Wales schools, this is just New South Wales, at year 10 doing agriculture. That number is around about seven to 8,000. So in year 10, across all the schools in New South Wales, there's about seven to 8,000 students. That doesn't sound many to me, actually. Well, it's, it's still a significant number. Now, when you go to year 12, though, that number comes down significantly and it ends up being around about a couple thousand. So we're losing, we're losing ag students from year 10 to years 11 and 12. So they're, from, from year 10, they're saying, I, I don't want to do agriculture in year 11 and 12 now to pursue a career in agriculture. So that that is a major pivot point in the dire sort of circumstances that we have in terms of um, ag science graduates. Because obviously, if you do agriculture in year 11 and 12, you're much more likely to pick it as your degree course going into university. So this, this is a real significant issue. I've never heard anybody talk about it. Uh, there's been numerous parliamentary inquiries. Never has anybody addressed this fall-off rate from year 10 to year 11 and 12 in, in doing agriculture. And that is, that is critical if, if this situation is going to be fixed. Now, you can go back at, uh, and look at the number of people uh, or students that, that have come out of school 
and picking agriculture as their course, so as a degree course, bachelor course in agriculture, has remained at around about a thousand over the last twenty years. So there's no evidence whatsoever that there's any impetus to change that. But but it has become a bit of a sexy outlook or a sexy destination over the last seven or eight years, has it not? I mean, if you go with the seasons, everything was hunky dory and rural Australia for the last three or four years and I'm sure it became much more attractive for as a career point than it was in the middle of that long drought. Well, I mean, I think that there's, there's still a big issue of, of the understanding of, of what agriculture is and agribusiness is and, and too many people still see it, too many students still see it as farming. Yeah. Um, you know, and and they don't want to go down that path. Well, it should now, be it should be more about food rather than farming, shouldn't it? Well, it's it, it's food and it, and it, and it's ag technology. Yeah. You know, I mean the the number of courses in the, the number of careers available in agriculture now are quite incredible, yeah. and all really exciting and challenging. Um, but that's not sitting on a tractor all day. Uh, ploughing like the 1960s. No, exactly right. Now, <laughs> I, I recall them well. Now, look, I, <laughs> I, uh, I notice a bit of a fierce returning to the feedlot area. Now, the feedlots are something that's ballooned in Australia over the last 25 years or so. I'm assuming with the growth in this sector, demand increasing for feedlot specialists? Well, yes. No, definitely. There's they haven't been spared the shortage, uh, you know. I mean, there, there is a, a huge demand for, when, when you think of a, the operation of a feedlot, sometimes you just think about the feedlot manager. Well, there's a whole series of managers involved in managing that feedlot, you know, from feed production to operations, logistics, you name it. There are multiple roles in managing some of those huge uh, feedlots and uh, trying to find people with the, with the right skill set for that that particular those particular roles is extremely difficult. Most of them are regional roles, and we know that it's harder to uh, get people to move to regional areas at the best of times. And it's it's, it's fairly uh, it's fairly intense hard work. So there's a real shortage. Yeah, what sort of uh, in, in incentives are on offer to middle to senior management possibles? to recruit them to or get the right uh, senior executive appointment or manager to re- get them to rule Australia? Well, look, I mean, I, I would say that the, 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 the ag industry is very slow on incentivising uh, regional roles. Uh, they need to be incentivised. I mean, there are still people searching for farm managers without providing on-farm accommodation. Well, that's dinosauric. You know, you, you just won't get people... To move to regional Australia's uh, regional Australia roles you know, unless you set it up right with the right incentives. Now I've seen you know really innovative uh, farm owners con- even construct houses specifically on the property or in the township if required for their farm managers and assistant farm managers. Um, these are the sort of incentives that you just have to do nowadays to get people to move. I've got to mention two words now that have become buzzwords throughout the world over the last two years or so. Is there any evidence of a growth in interest in the artificial intelligence world in agribusiness? Well, look, I mean, I, I've got no doubt um, that 
it's AI will have a will have a huge impact uh, at every level of agribusiness into the future. Um, you know, like you know, all those sort of like uh, optical scanning devices for you know fruit manufacture and processing and and salad leaf manufacturing processing livestock uh, weighing machines and monitoring cattle in in dairy shed behavior in dairy sheds. All of that will be impacted by AI in the future. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Ray Johnson, Managing Director of Agricultural Appointments, thank you so much for your time today joining us on the grill for Beef Central. It's been a pleasure, Kerry. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been the Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. 